Do you know somebody that just has a hard time saying thank you? Now, for most of us, it comes very naturally, doesn't it? Probably when you came in this morning, somebody opened the door for you, handed you a bulletin, and you probably did exactly what your mother taught you to do. You said thank you. Maybe when you're driving. Do you do this when you're driving and you need to get over and you've got your turn signal on and you've been waiting for three miles trying to get over and somebody lets you in? Do you do the thank you wave? You look up in the mirror and go, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Some people just have a really hard time with a simple thing like that. They have a really hard time with a simple thank you. I remember an example of that so very clearly from the 1965 movie Shenandoah. It is set in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia during the Civil War. Jimmy Stewart plays a very proud, self-made, self-reliant man. And his family has all just been seated around the dinner table. And he offers his version of grace. This land, we plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. That stayed with me because it's really outside the realm of anything I've ever personally experienced. Does it seem strange to you? Or do you have a family member that's got a very similar attitude? Or is it possible that you yourself feel that way? You're the one that gets up in the morning. You're the one that goes to work. You're the one that earns your wage or earns your commission. And if you didn't, Nobody's going to do it for you and there wouldn't be any food in your fridge. Maybe that kind of attitude is why our culture feels a need to recognize a Thanksgiving holiday. We need it. We need the reminder. Once a year, we are reminded that we need to be thankful And this reminder really should not come only on the fourth Thursday of November. Robert Lintner wrote, Thanksgiving was never meant to be shut up in a single day. And he was right, wasn't he? Every day should be Thanksgiving Day. Because God's Word teaches us that we are to be continually thankful. 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, Colossians, we're going to get to 1 Thessalonians later. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That teaches us whatever we do, do it all giving thanks. Some of you might come from a church tradition where the word Eucharist was used. Eucharist is simply the Greek word that means thanksgiving or thankfulness or giving thanks. 
The early church, when they gathered together on the Lord's Day, actually had a rich celebration, a joyful celebration in which they would share a meal together, just as Jesus and his disciples did on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And they would celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For them, it wasn't a real somber time. For them, it was a time of joy and celebration because Jesus had risen from the dead. This church celebrates that Lord's Supper every Sunday. And maybe you've wondered why you do that. It's not just because when we started the church 21 years ago, we did it every Sunday. The reason we did that was because we went back to the New Testament and we asked, what did they do? And the record of the early church is that on the Lord's Day, they gathered together to break bread. They gathered together to share In the Lord's Supper, they gathered together to share in the Eucharist, in the Thanksgiving. So Prairie View continues that model of following the pattern of the New Testament church. And every Lord's Day, you share in the Lord's Supper. You share in the Eucharist. You give thanks. So not only do we have the annual reminder to give thanks, every Sunday when you come to your Eucharist, when you come to your Thanksgiving time, when you come to the Lord's Supper, it is a time to remember that you have so much to be thankful for in the death, resurrection, And soon return of Jesus Christ. Even with all those reminders, it is so easy for me to be ungrateful. Sometimes I'm like the little schoolboy who came home from a birthday party and his mom said to him, did you thank the lady of the house? And he said, well, I was going to. But a little girl going out the door in front of me said, thank you. The lady said, don't mention it. So I didn't. My goal for this sermon this morning is for this to be a reminder. A reminder for me and a reminder for you to say thank you. I want to share with you a narrative from from Luke, from Luke 17. The narrative takes place during the last journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. When he came into the city this time, he was joyously greeted by crowds that were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. But in just a few very short days, the singing multitude would turn into an angry mob. And their shouts of Hosanna would be turned to shouts of crucify him. When Jesus came into the city, he was at the height of his popularity. Reports of his masterful teaching, his astounding miracles, his incredible healings had spread far and wide. When some leopards heard that Jesus was coming, they went to meet him. I want to give you just a little background here and tell you that leprosy is a terrible disease. It attacks the nervous system. And a person becomes unable to feel. And so he or she can do severe damage to him or herself and never feel it. And so very often they would become disfigured. People could recognize a leper because a part of 
an ear or their nose or fingers would be missing. Not because they rotted off, but because they'd been cut off. Because they had done something to injure themselves and could never feel it. These ten men that came to Jesus suffered not only the ravages of that disease, but they were isolated. They were feared. And what do we do with people that we fear? We hate them. And we ostracize them. They lived separately. Jesus represented an opportunity for them to not only have their physical health restored, but to escape the daily physical and emotional torment. Let me read for you the record of their encounter with Jesus from Luke 17, beginning at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. What is it that surprises you about this story? Are you surprised at the indifference of the nine who did not return to say thank you to Jesus? Do you wonder how someone could receive such a a fantastic gift and never even acknowledge it? Do you think that by proportion they represented their culture? Do you think that the numbers would be any different today? If Jesus healed ten people today, do you think the number that would return would would be any difference? Maranatha Magazine carried a humorous story about how ungrateful people can be sometime. There was a woman who, ple- who, who was married to a man for many years who was very difficult to please. One day she made up her mind she was going to make this a perfect day. From the very beginning she was going to do everything that was humanly possible to please her husband. So first thing in the morning, she said to him, Darling, what would you like for breakfast? He said, Coffee and toast, grits and sausage, two eggs, one scrambled and one fried. So in a very short time, she had his breakfast in front of him. She stood back, hoping for just one word of praise. He looked down at his plate and said, Well, looks like you've scrambled the wrong egg. Most of us are not that ungrateful. 
And yet most of us at one time or another have focused on the bad instead of seeing the good. We complain about what we don't have instead of giving thanks for the wonderful things we do have. And that makes the response of the one who did return to Jesus just a little surprising. Do you suppose that maybe he tried to get the other nine to go with him? Do you think he just turned around and took off on his own back to Jesus? Or do you think maybe they talked about it as a group? Or do you think that for most of them it just, it just never crossed their minds? Was the one who did return a holy man? Had he lived his life as a pious follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Had he always been quick with a thank you? Was this something that just very naturally came to him, but didn't naturally come to the others? Perhaps what surprises you in this is the healing itself. That with just a single word, go. Jesus could heal them. Jesus could change the structure of the cells in their bodies and completely eliminate all trace of the disease. That is a simple response of faith. It is such a simple response of faith that they could believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, go, and so they went. They obeyed his instruction. Because they believed what he said, and because they obeyed, they were healed. Now, I'll tell you what surprises me about this. What surprises me in this is the presence of Jesus. It just seems marvelous to me that Jesus would be in the right place, in the right time, to encounter the right people under the right circumstances for all of this to happen. But that's just like Jesus, isn't it? Now, when I first thought about this, I thought how wonderful that Jesus would go out of his way. And then as I thought about it more, I thought, no, Jesus didn't go out of his way. This was his way. His way was to go... And find the hurting. His way was to go and find the injured. His way was to go and find the outcast. And yet as I thought about it more, it seemed that it was his chosen path to minister, to alleviate pain, to heal suffering, to comfort and to encourage. And Jesus still does. And he does so even more now because he no longer has physical limitations. When Jesus was walking this earth, he had physical limitations. He could only be in one place at one time. He could only touch the people that he could physically reach out to. Now, with his death, death, his resurrection, his return to heaven, and the sending of the Holy Spirit, he's available to each of us. He is near us. His Holy Spirit fills us. And through His Holy Spirit, 
He ministers to the world around us. And one of the ways that he does that is through his, the body, the body of Christ. The body of Jesus is now composed of believers who bind themselves together to accomplish the work of Jesus. We learn about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. I was thinking about how this church does that. And one very simple example is the mission can change lives project that you do about once a quarter somebody brings that big metal trash can up here and people come and they throw coins in it the first time i was here and i heard that that oh that bothered me that was just such a a a harsh loud noise that it, it 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 just jangled my nerves that's the word i'm looking for it jangled my nerves but as i watched it happen As I watched the smiles, especially the smiles of the children, I started to see the value of it. As a body, together, you are demonstrating how you're making a difference in the world. One of the places that that money goes is Pine Haven Children's Home. They take in children who have nowhere else to go. They provide a loving atmosphere. They they provide a secure place for them to grow up. They provide an education for them. And they teach them about Jesus Christ. And you participate in that. Some of you have participated in that by going all the way to Montana to labor for a week at Pine Haven. And those of you that haven't been able to do that have come up on Sunday mornings and you've thrown some coins into the can. That is the body of Christ working together to accomplish the will of God. And so for me, that Missions Can Change the World Sunday is a reminder of the love of Christ. And that reminds me That so often we can be like the nine. So often we complain about what we don't have and what we can't do. And we forget about what we do have and what we can do. And I think that's a wonderful thing about having the Thanksgiving holiday. It reminds us. Charles L. Brown has used his imagination... He's used his imagination to suggest why the nine didn't return. He made up an excuse for each one of them. I thought that what he had to offer was very interesting. And I wondered if you might find yourself in the list. He had nine lepers' excuses. One waited to see if the cure was real. One waited to see if it would last. One said he would see Jesus later. One decided he never had leprosy. One said that he would have gotten well anyway. One guy gave the praise to the priests. One said, well, Jesus really didn't do anything. One said, just any rabbi could have done it. And the ninth one said, 
I was already much improved. Now those are just fanciful ideas. But I wonder if they're any more fanciful than the excuses we come up with. Excuses we come up with for not expressing our gratitude to God. By setting aside some time for Him each day to study His Word and to pray, to be faithful in our church attendance, and to be thankful for what He's given us. So to help prepare for our Thanksgiving celebration, and to help make our thankfulness a way of life all year long, I want to offer four ways that we may be like that one leper who was healed, who returned to give thanks to Jesus. The first thing I want to suggest is that you count your blessings. And I know we have all heard that. We've heard that so often that it's a little bit trite, maybe even somewhat corny. We all know that we can be thankful because we all have a measure of wealth and health. We all have a measure of family. We all have something to be thankful for. But it seems to me we can go even further by discovering new blessings that we weren't really aware of, but were right in front of us all the time. Gene Parrott has created a list of seven things to be thankful for. Seven things to be thankful for that are right in front of you right now. And maybe you didn't even think about them. For example, he suggests we, suggested we be grateful for automatic dishwashers. They help us to clean up and get out of the kitchen before the family comes back in for their after-dinner snack. For husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house, they usually make them big enough to call professionals. For the bathtub... It's the one place the family allows mom to have some time for herself. For children who put their things away. They are such a joy that you hate to see them go when they return to their own parents. (laughs) For gardening. It's a relief to deal with dirt outside the house for a change. For teenagers, they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. And for smoke alarms, they let you know when the turkey's done. A second way to be like the one who returned is to follow the advice of Kay Levin who said, Make a habit of getting even with people. Not getting even with the people you think have done you wrong but the people you know have done you good. If you made a list of all the people that ever helped you, how long would that list be? And what would it take for you to get even with the people that have helped you? If you tried, how much time would be left for grumbling and complaining? A third thing that we can do is to be joyful. And we just finished a sermon series on joy, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I do want to take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then Mother Teresa 
ties this together for me. Mother Teresa once said, the best way to show my gratitude to God is to accept everything, even my problems, with joy. When you encounter a problem this week, and you will come across one, how will you respond? Will you have a temper tantrum? Will you have a pity party? Or will you respond with joy? For gratitude, even in the problem. The fourth way I want to suggest for turning one day of thanksgiving into an every day of thanks living is to make giving thanks a priority. I've heard that there's a Swedish proverb that says, those who wish to sing will always find a song. In the same way, if we really want to, if we will make it a priority, we will find blessings for which to be thankful, and we will find ways to express our gratitude to God. One of the most amazing people of the 20th century was a woman named Helen Keller. She died in 1968. From a very early age, she was deaf and blind. And yet she spoke very glowingly about Thanksgiving. This is what she said. For three things, I thank God every day of my life. Thanks that He has vouchsafed me knowledge of His works. Deep thanks that he has set in my darkness the lamp of faith. Deep, deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward. A life joyous with light and flowers and heavenly song. I appreciate that testimony of faith. The witness of a faith that made a difference in her life. And faith is like that. Faith is not static. It's not lifeless. It's not inactive. Faith always produces results. When the lepers heard the command of Jesus to go, they went. They obeyed. They believed and they acted on their belief. Genuine faith will always lead us to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, what do you need to do? What do you need to change to be obedient to Jesus Christ? Jesus said to the ten lepers, go. And they obeyed. What has Jesus said? That you need to do to obey. I want to suggest this morning that it might be continually giving thanks, giving thanks in all circumstances. That might be where you need to be obedient. It might be 
that you need to be obedient in following Jesus. Jesus gives us this command, follow me. Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you faithfully walking in His footsteps? If you are not, is it time for you to make that decision? Is it time for you to decide today? I will be obedient. I will follow Jesus Christ. Is it time today for you to make that decision? To repent of your past and to be immersed into Jesus Christ. Is today the day to do that? If it is, when we're finished here, find me. Let's talk about that. Or find one of your elders. They're good men. Talk to them about your decision to follow Jesus Christ. I want to lead us in a prayer. Father in heaven, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, with a heart that overflows with gratitude. First of all, gratitude for your mercy and grace, for the salvation that you purchased for me on the cross of your Son, Jesus. Gratitude to be included in your Son's body, to be a part of of something that is so much bigger than me, to contribute to an effort that is far beyond my reach, to wrap my life up in your work. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this congregation, for the lives you are molding, for the hearts you are teaching, for the souls that you are saving, through this congregation, I am so grateful. And I ask, Father, that especially as we approach this holiday, as we will be with family that we don't, we don't always see very often, as we spend time with friends and co-workers at special events, I ask, Father, that you will open Doors of opportunity. And when we have the opportunity, set loose our tongues and enable us to say thank you. Set loose our hands to send those notes of gratitude. But most of all, most of our most of all, Father. Spring open the doors of our hearts so that the forgiveness and the love and the mercy and the grace and the acceptance of your, just, your Son, Jesus, will flow out of us. Because you teach us that when we will do that, people will be drawn to your Son, Jesus. So give us opportunities to open our hearts. Give us opportunities to speak of our faith. Give us opportunities to demonstrate our joy. And I ask that you will do this. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.
If you lead me 